If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. There's so much cool stuff waiting to happen. The book has been written as a blueprint for an open metaverse, so how we can create a metaverse that's there for us. And that book is future tech strategist Dr. Mark von Rijmanam's just-published work, Step Into the Metaverse. Mark, who is known as the digital speaker, is both an entrepreneur, he's the founder of Holland-based technology and information company Dataflock, and an international keynote presenter. His specialty is exploring the ways technology changes organizations, society, and the metaverse. In Step Into the Metaverse, which is his fifth published book, he offers both an exploration of current developments in technology and a call to action for individual creators to make the future their own. The following podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as financial, career, or any other type of professional advice. Please contact an appropriate professional in any of these areas in which you may have a question. Mark, I'd like to start this with a quote from your book. We are at the dawn of a new era, and we have one opportunity, one shot, to create a new reality for humanity. Would you tell me about that new era, please, and that opportunity? Of course. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to be here. And I honestly believe that the metaverse is a new opportunity for humanity to create something new, to create something that's beneficial to humanity, to everyone, instead of being beneficial for a select few of the elites who run all the companies. And the metaverse is the next iteration of the internet. And it's really all about this convergence of the digital and the physical world, which make up the metaverse. And it allows us to, we basically have a blank canvas when we create this next iteration of the internet. And we can do it the same way we did it in Web2, where we have large corporates, also known as big tech, controlling our data, controlling our digital online lives. Or we can create it in a different way where we control our data, we control our digital assets, and we control our identity. And I honestly believe that the latter will have a much bigger impact on society from an economic perspective, but also from a social perspective. And I think we should really do whatever it takes to make sure that we end up in what I call like an open metaverse, where we have that control, where we have that self-sovereignty over our identity and over our data. And it is actually only one shot that we have, because if we do it wrong, we'll end up in an extrapolated version of Web2, where you know, with the amount of data that's being created in the metaverse going like 10 to 100 fold, the big tech and the tiny elite controlling the big tech will become stronger, more powerful, and have more control over our digital lives. Uh, a bit like you know the way it's portrayed in Snow Crash or Already Player One. So yeah, we really do only have one shot to make this happen, because if we do it wrong, we'll end up in, I think, a dystopian future. That's exciting and scary simultaneously. <laughs> Let's envision what could happen. I'm going to say 10 years from today, but correct me if I'm wrong, because that might not be an accurate number. How do we experience the internet and the metaverse 10 years from today if everything goes the way that you've envisioned it? Well, I think if we look at 10 years from now, and for those who, who are reading my book or want to read my book, I have an interesting story at the start of the book that explains sort of how I think the, the future will look like. And I think the, the metaverse will, the internet will just be like as 
pervasive as the air we breathe, the electricity that we use. It will just be everywhere and anywhere. And instead of you know having to go on the internet, as in you have to get your phone to open a website or open an app or open your desktop to, to do something with the internet, that barrier, so to say, will disappear. And the internet will just be there. You know, whether we have smart glasses or maybe even already smart lenses, that might be a bit too soon, 10 years from now. But it will be, you know, in a completely seamless way where we interact in a 3D environment, which is a lot more natural to humans operating in a 3D than in a 2D environment. And I think that will completely change how we you know, operate, how we work, how we live, how we play, how we socialize, what it is to be human, because the instant world is be everywhere. And you can interact with the internet at any one moment in time in a very natural and seamless way. And I think that's super exciting to see that happening. It's super exciting and has the potential for fun. Let's look at some of the ways that might change how we work, how we play. I'm going to pick on education because a lot of our listeners are educators. How might school be different with the new metaverse? Well, I think one of the things, and I also described it in my book, is, you know, the problems that we have today with education is that for the past 100 years, nothing really has changed. We have a bunch of kids, whether it's 10, 20, 30, or even sometimes 40 or even more kids in the classroom sitting in a theater style, listening to a teacher lecturing about a particular topic. And of course, there are interactions with the students, but it's very much a one-to-many conversation. And to me, that doesn't make sense at all because we have so many fascinating technologies at our disposal. But unfortunately, the education system hasn't changed or hasn't embraced those technologies at all. There are some exceptions where we use digital boards and we use iPads in the class and we use you know, tablets or whatever. But to really embrace technology that's available hasn't been done so. But there's plenty of research that show that learning by doing is way more beneficial than learning by being lectured. And the metaverse will allow us to learn by doing in novel ways. For example, if you have a history class, you can go to ancient Rome. You can be there with your entire class. You can walk around. You can pause a scene to discuss that scene to see what's happening. And I think that experience is just mind-blowing. And that's just only for students, for kids. But if you take that a step further for students, you know, let's say, for example, in Medicine, you know, healthcare studies, where you want to be a surgeon, you, know, you can do an open heart operation in hyper-realistic detail in virtual reality, seeing everything, how it works, knowing when you're making mistakes and knowing when you do it right. So you can already do that open heart operation 50 times before doing it in real life. And I think that's just so fascinating of the metaverse that we can have this opportunity to turn education in from something from you know learning by being told to or learning by reading to learning by doing. And in fact, in your book, I was reading and envisioning VR, but you say that AR is going to have a much greater impact. What are some of the ways AR might enable teachers and workers to do training this way? Sure. So I think you know, a lot of people at the moment think that the metaverse equals virtual reality or the metaverse equals gaming. And to me, that's absolutely looking at the metaverse from a too small perspective. I think actually augmented reality is going to be ha having a much bigger impact on our world than virtual reality, you know, simply for the reason that you know, a VR headset is still very bulky and you can't really wear it when you're going out on the street, you know? And obviously, at the moment, augmented reality is predominantly being used using smartphones. But the moment we have 
sleek smart glasses that will have a fully immersive augmented reality field of view. I think that will completely change everything. And then it becomes possible to, to again, to learn by doing. You know, you have a complex machine and you need to fix that. Or you have a car and as a mechanic, and you need to learn how to fix a car. Or you can use your glasses to see exactly what you need to do to have this overlay of information on the, the engine, for example. And you know exactly how the engine works, what you need to do, why you need to connect, you know, which pump you need to use, whatsoever. And that is, again, a way of learning by doing in a much more seamless way, also in a much more um, scalable way, where normally if you have one teacher on 10 students, that teacher can only really help one student at a time together. But with when you have augmented reality glasses, you know, it is as if you have your personal teacher standing next to you, helping you what to do, what you do wrong, how to improve, etc. So also from that perspective, I think it will have a massive impact on education if this technology is embraced. Something I really like about Step Into the Metaverse is the end, you have all the references. You did something like 250 interviews for this book. Whoa. Even with your background as a digital speaker and the fact this is your fourth book and your business background, was there anything in the course of this creative process that absolutely wowed you that you cannot wait to see happen? Wow. That's a very good question. There's so much cool stuff waiting to happen. And I think... One of the things that I really like about the research that I did is that the metaverse will enable what I call, I'm not the one who coined the term, but I use the term, what will happen is the imagination age. So the imagination age is an age, it's a hypothetical age, which was, I think, coined in the 1990s, which sort of states that, you know, at some point, AI will have take up such a role within society that most of the work to be done left for humans is being creative. And that will, you know, kickstart the imagination age. And I think the metaverse can actually enable that, can actually kick that even further so that we are you know, moving from a theoretical age to you know, an actual, actual age, so to say, because with NFTs, non-fungible tokens, it allows us to truly own a particular asset in the digital world. And just like in the physical world, from the moment it became possible to prove that you owned a physical asset, that physical asset, which, for example, was a, as a house, moved from an item for shelter to an item so that you could monetize and, and could use to build a business. Right? You could mortgage that house, you could get a loan against it, and that money you can use to build a, a business. Well, the same applies to digital assets. When Now, for the first time in ever, it is possible to prove the ownership of a digital asset, and therefore you can monetize that asset. You can sell it, you can borrow against it, and you can get a mortgage against it, whatsoever. And I think that allow content creators to create fantastic, cool things and stories and art and games and, you know, whatever you can think of. And I think that's something I'm really, really excited about. And linked to that, I think the metaverse will also sort of enable a Cambrian explosion of identity, because all of a sudden we can be who we want to be, you know, whether that is a flying purple dinosaur or whether it's toad for Mary card or whether that's Hulk the green man you know or a piano you know it, it doesn't really matter and I think that will allow people to explore their identity in ways much more than they do today and I think that is absolutely fascinating so the combination of that we can explore our identities in new ways plus this, this imagination age I think will be fantastic to see where that will will, will lead us. I'm intrigued by what you said about avatars, how avatars can facilitate different behaviors virtually and in the real world. Would you tell me more about that, please? Yes. So there's been research by 
I think Professor Bellington, I'm not sure if I pronounced his name correctly. So he did research that showed that the avatar that you pick will have an impact on your actual character. And so first of all, he found that a lot of people will try, will want to explore their different identities. So females will take a male avatar and men will take a female avatar, which is already interesting to see. And secondly, that the introverts were picking extrovert avatars. So that can be like a, a very powerful avatar, something, you know, an avatar that, that looks very extrovert. And those extrovert characteristics would flow over to the physical world so that that person, that introvert person, would showcase more extrovert characteristics after having played an extrovert character in the virtual world. I think that's mind-blowing. And you know, the fact that that is possible, again, will open up a Cambrian explosion of identity where people can start to explore identity and what it means to be human. How exciting is that? When you say the metaverse is going to really open up to creatives, what are some of the ways, with the understanding that you and I are having a conversation for informational purposes only, and this is not intended as professional advice, what are some of the ways that anybody who's new to this might want to check out the different skills, learn new skills, get into some of the resources and be ready for all of this to happen? Well, of course, I have to say, read my book, <laughs> Step Into the Metaverse, because I think it's, it's the book has been written as a blueprint for an open metaverse, so how we can create a metaverse that's there for us. So I would definitely recommend that, of course. But then other than that, I think for, and this applies to you know individuals as well as organizations, for those who want to truly understand the metaverse, you have to immerse yourself into it. Similar like with social media, over a decade ago, if you wanted to understand social media, you had to immerse yourself on Twitter and you had to immerse yourself on all the different social media platforms. That's the same thing with the metaverse. You have to start to understand what are NFTs, how do they work? You have to visit these virtual worlds, Decentraland, Roblox, the Sandbox, just to gain a perspective, you know, to understand how this works. Try a VR experience. You know, try an augmented reality experience just to sort of step into the metaverse for the first time and have a bit of an understanding of what this means and how it's going to change the world. So I think that would be my main point of advice is that yeah, you can read about this stuff and I think you should because it helps you understand what, what happens in, in this world. But more than anything, you should not only learn by reading, but you should learn by doing. Where can people find your book and where can they find out more about you as the digital speaker before we go on? Sure. So you can find the book on Amazon and any of the other large online bookstores. Hopefully soon also in a, in a bookstore, a physical bookstore near you. And if people want to get more information about me, they can visit thedigitalspeaker.com. There's a way to contact me there. And I'm happy to connect with anyone who is interested to have a discussion on this. Thedigitalspeaker.com. I'm also intrigued by what you said about brands. I'm going to ask you a slightly different question than what you cover in the book, though, because you talk about branding for the different brands like Balenciaga and what they did and what they did successfully. But you have a personal brand. What if somebody wants to create a personal brand and they are an independent artist or a teacher or something like that? What are the do's and don'ts? Well, you already see that happening. You see already happening that kids or young adults are creating their own digital fashion brand. And I think that's fascinating. You know, again, this creativity, this imagination age will enable this. And you see that, you know, something that wasn't possible in the past, like a 15-year-old or 21-year-old could start a fashion brand because the barriers to entry were just way too high. Now, with the metaverse, it is possible to start a digital fashion brand and gain a large following and have people wear your digital fashion items in the metaverse. 
And then if people like it in the virtual, they might ask for physical items. And I think that is you know, really, really awesome. But if you want to start with that from a digital fashion perspective, again, start exploring. You know, Start buying some, some digital fashion items. Start buying NFTs just to understand what it means to, to buy a digital sweater or a digital dress and learn from there. And in fact, you gave about the best definition of an NFT I've ever seen because I wasn't sure what a non-fungible token was. But if you have a dollar and I have a dollar, we can swap them. That's fungible. But if you have a diamond apple and I have a tinfoil pear, we can't swap those. That would be non-fungible if I've understood what you said. Yes, that's correct. So a non-fungible token, you know, they are non-fungible because they have a different value attached to them. They can be part of the same category, but within that category, they have different values baseball cards, for example, or football cards, for example, they are the same type of category. They are, you know, cards with an image of someone's playing a particular sports on it, but they have different value attached to it. So I cannot swap the one card for another because, you know, we'll end up with something different. I think that's non-fungibility. And I think that, you know, the fact that we have that technology now, and again, also, this is still early days. We're still exploring what it means to have non-fungible tokens, how they work, and what are the pros and the cons, what are the, you know, because yes, it has a lot of advantages, but it doesn't have, you know, all, it also has some disadvantages. You know, one thing that you hear a lot about at the moment is the need for so-called soul-bound tokens. And I cover this a little bit in my book because it's so brand new, but, but soul-bound tokens basically means non-fungible tokens, but then tokens which are non-tradable. Because if I attach, for example, my university degree to an NFT, and I sell that NFT to you, then all of a sudden you have, you know, you have my PhD. And that wouldn't really work. So we need to attach them to a person. And that's sort of called, they are called soulbound tokens. So that we can't swap them. But then I still need to be able to change them from one wallet to another. If, I, if my computer crashes, for example, I still need to be able to swap those tokens to another wallet. But how do I prevent that that wallet is not your wallet but so there are a lot of technical challenges here that we need to solve but definitely i think non-fungible tokens soulbound tokens are here to stay and they will form a massive part of the metaverse this is going to be exciting to see you also cover in your book some of the dangers some of the things lurking in the dark corners that we have to avoid what are some of the dangers and what do we do to avoid this Sure. So I think that the dangers are unfortunately plenty within the metaverse. And we can expect that any problem that we have in the current web will be extrapolated in the metaverse, simply because it's an immersive world instead of a 2D world. You know, unfortunately, we already see it happening that women are being harassed, sexually assaulted in the metaverse. And if you are, if the virtual reality is done in such a way, uh, your brains cannot make the difference between virtual reality and real reality. So if you're being sexually assaulted in the a virtual reality to a woman that will feel as if it happens in the physical reality. And this happens all over the place, unfortunately, and it's a really, really big problem. But then we also have issues such as, you know, the polarization, fake news, you know, the enormous amount of data that will be collected. You know, if you have a, a VR headset with cameras that scan your room, it allows you to not only scan your room, but know who's in your room, who's moving in your room, what kind of products do you have in your room? What does that say about you as a person? but also whether you have a tremor in your hand, which might indicate a disease. And if you then have eye recognition, eye tracking in your camera, that says even more about you. You know How diluted are your eyes? How dry are your eyes? How often do you blink? How long do you look at something? Whether it's only a millisecond longer than something else, that will say so much about you. you know, it, will, it will reveal our deepest inner thoughts and feelings. And if that ends up in the wrong hands, we have a real big problem. 
And then also we have, for example, deep fakes. Deep fakes is already a problem, but they're not really, you know, they're bad, but they're not of such a, you know, realistic quality as can be. But, you know, as an example, I'm currently creating a digital human of myself, a so-called meta-human. But if I can create it of myself, you can do that too. And there's plenty enough images of me online. There's plenty enough voice recordings of me online. So you can clone my voice. You can create a digital human that looks like me, that moves like me, that sounds like me. Yeah, and people are gullible and they will probably think, well, that is me. Well, if that happens to me, that's annoying. But I'm not a world leader and I'm not a CEO of a public company. But if this happens to a CEO of one of the largest public companies, that can have a massive impact on society or even you know, a world leader. So... These are really, really problematic issues that we need to solve. And in my book, I try to give attempts to sort of give solutions of how to do these. And I think there are three ways. It's, it's education, it's verification, and it's regulation. So education first, that we need to educate ourselves. You know, we need to know how to deal with these technologies, not only you and me, but also our children. They need to learn that it's not normal to doom scroll on your phone for two or three hours at a time. And what it means if you share something on TikTok, what that impact, what kind of impact that can have on you and how that data is being collected. We need to verify. So if we have this deep fake example that I showed you, maybe we need to attach it to an NFT or a soulbound token so that I know it's you. But then again, I also need to make sure that it's if nobody hacked my computer. So maybe we need to attach it to my biometrics. But then again, how do we control the safety and the privacy and the security of all that very private data? So we need to form something around verification and we need to have regulation. I think, you know, unfortunately, all over the world, regulators tend to be slow in adopting new laws when it comes to new technology. And if they do come up, it often stifles innovation instead of enables innovation. But we need to have regulation in place to prevent any of the issues that are already happening in this space. Otherwise, we might end up in a very dystopian future. And in fact, you've kind of shown an alternative here, one future where big tech takes over and the rich get a zillion times richer while creatives pay 75% of what they're creating to sell anything. And one where it's much more desirable where the creative folks are in charge and this is the new creativity. What's one step besides getting familiar with what's out there that anybody listening right now can take towards the metaverse that's open and run by creatives as opposed to big technology? Well, I, again, I think have a good understanding of what's happening and what the differences are between a closed and an open metaverse and why we need to strive for an open metaverse. But also, if you want to build for the metaverse, I think you you should try to to incorporate some of the characteristics that I think are to an open metaverse. These are interoperability, so you need to make your assets interoperable so that you can take it from one platform to another. And that's currently not possible. It's currently not possible to take an asset from, I don't know, TikTok to Facebook to Instagram, for example. So we need to have this interoperability. Um, it's also not possible to, to send a WhatsApp message to someone on Telegram. So if we don't have this interoperability, we remain in the era of value extraction, or we need to go to an era of value creation. Interoperability is made possible using decentralization. That's a second characteristic, but we use blockchain technology to truly own our data, our assets, and our identity. Then I think what we, we should strive for is to have also spatiality, so that we, we have to attach spatial anchors to to whatever we have in the metaverse, so that we know what we're looking for and that we are able to find the assets in the metaverse. Because, you know, mind you, in the, at the moment, there are no... There is no Google in the metaverse, so it's very difficult to find whatever you need to find. 
So you want to be able to find across all those metaverses, there's millions of experiences, there's millions of virtual worlds, whatever assets you're looking for. So the fourth component is persistency. And we want to ensure that whatever you create for the metaverse is there and is persistent and cannot just be deleted by anyone who doesn't like you. Of course, there are challenges to do this as well. But yeah, if you've created a virtual headquarter of your office, you want to be able to that your employees can always go there, just like uh, physical headquarters that cannot just be demolished if somebody in the street doesn't like that building. So that's important. I think the fifth component is, you know, we should be aware that this is very much community driven. That um, you know, Generation Z, Generation Alpha, they are the metaverse natives. And any brand, or any organization that wants to step into the metaverse should embrace that community approach. And then the final component, which I think is one of the most important one, is self-sovereignty. Self-sovereignty meaning that we control our own data, our own identity, our own reputation, and that this data is you know, protected, is private, is portable, is persistent, and is secure. And I think those kind of components that if you want to build for the metaverse, try to embrace these characteristics because that will enable us to, to get closer and closer to an open metaverse. We've got a lot to work towards and a huge challenge before us is what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. Two extremely cool things that you mentioned in your book, what the European Space Agency is doing with the digital twin of the Earth and brain-controlled interfaces. These utterly wowed me. However, when we have something like that, let's look at the what the European Space Agency is doing. How do we protect people's privacy if they're going to do a digital twin of the Earth? Well, the digital twin of the Earth is predominantly focused on the natural components, the natural items of the Earth. You know, forests, rivers, oceans, etc. And to have an understanding of what the impact of humanity is on Earth. So yes, this data will probably also cover human data, but I don't know to what extent it will include privacy-sensitive data. Regardless, you know, just like I mentioned with the six characteristics of the open metaverse, even the ESA should focus on these characteristics and should not include any privacy-sensitive data if the user didn't give any you know, consent to that. So that the user has still has this self-sovereignty of their identity. If we do that, then this data can be extremely useful to have a better understanding of the impact that we as humans have on our Earth and also to, to see how we can you know, counter the, the climate change problems that we, that we have at the moment. It's an exciting concept to see if, in fact, we can combat climate change with it's going to amount to be augmented, I should think, rather than virtual reality. The BCI oh, yeah. sighting. And at the same time, I thought, whoa, what if you think something about your boss that is less than complimentary? Because you were talking about people sending thoughts as we send text today. How do we get around that? Very, very good question. And I think, again, if we end up in a closed metaverse, beaming the metaverse straight into our brain might not be a very good idea. Uh, because then if you have a negative thought about your boss and accidentally sends it to your boss, I think that that is pretty problematic. And I'm currently reading the, the book The Every by Dave Eggers, which is sort of is a sequel to The Circle. And it's a very, very, very dystopian future of where all data, everything that we do, where we look, how we, what we talk about is being monitored and controlled by one company. And so I can definitely recommend reading that book. And it's if we end up in that situation, I think as humanity, we're pretty much doomed. But if we end up in an open metaverse where we have full control over who has access to our thoughts, just like we have today, we ourselves decide who have access to our thoughts by sharing those thoughts to whomever we want to. But if we if we connect the metaverse to our brains, which I'm 100% certain will happen at some point in the future, how do we ensure that you know some evil person cannot just look into our brains and see what we're thinking and, and control our thoughts? 
um, you know, get rid of free will altogether, you know? These are our challenges. But if you see the, the, the progress that's being made in, in this field, it's phenomenal. It's going so fast. And yeah, we have to think very, very carefully how we want to deal with this. It's like anything else, I think, a great gift and a great responsibility. Well, Absolutely. Technology is in yet neutral. Uh, and it can be used to, to build great things or it can be used to destruct those things. Hope and pray that we build great things. Mark, my final question usually in my podcast is if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from you? Oh, that's a good question. I think I would say that it would be important to to have a, a good understanding of if you're building something for a new, for the future. You know, too often we we go too fast and break things. While we, I actually we should say we should you know go slow and think first. And I think if we take sometimes a little bit more time uh, to understand the impact that a certain technology can have on, on society, I think that would be very, very important. Mark, thank you for your time today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. You and I have been listening to Dr. Mark von Richmanam, future tech strategist, international keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and author of the new book, Step Into the Metaverse. Find out more about ordering Step Into the Metaverse on Amazon.com. And you can connect with Mark, read his articles, find out more about his earlier books and his podcast, and check out his presentations at thedigitalspeaker.com. That's thedigitalspeaker.com. The preceding podcast was for informational purposes only and is not intended as financial, career, or any other type of professional advice please contact an appropriate professional in any of these areas in which you may have a question. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.